Hello and welcome to another episode of the UConn Football Pod. This is Amon Kidwai. I'm here with Luke Swanson and Tucker Warner here to talk all things Husky football. It certainly has been a week. The Huskies spent their Saturday on ABC in the Nooner playing one of the most historic programs in all of college football, visiting one of the most historic venues in the sport. Unfortunate result on the scoreboard, 59, nothing to add injury to insult. Nate Carter is also now out with an injury. Uh, he's got a shoulder strain that is likely to sideline him for at least a few weeks, I would imagine. We are not feeling so great here in stores and associated areas about that. Tucker, you were at the game. What was that like, and um, what did you see? Uh, did you guys know that they play Hail to the Victor after everything? Like, everything. Like, they don't stop. It's just the whole time, like, not even just after scores. They'll play it if there's a particularly good segment in between the games. Uh, you know, all that, like, halftime entertainment is Hail to the Victor's you know, over and over and over. Uh, so that was the first big takeaway because there were a lot of good things that happened for Michigan in this game. Uh, you know, I will say going to the big house, that's pretty awesome. I think that could be kind of a selling point in recruiting. Uh, if, you know, just going to these associated stadiums, you know, something like, uh, you know, going to Ohio State in 2025, uh, potentially if things line up right, maybe even, you know, getting that game with uh, one of the teams that is recently being removed from their conference uh, in these next few years, uh, maybe get out to California, maybe to an Oklahoma or a Texas. That's you know, speculation, not a rumor. Um, and you might have noticed that I'm doing my best to not really talk about this game because there's really just not a whole lot to talk about. Uh, I will say I highly recommend going to one of these big road games if you can. Uh, it's a great experience. Uh, you can kind of come in knowing that UConn's not really going to have a shot. So no matter what happens in the game, you can't be too disappointed. And you know, from a fan perspective, it's just so awesome to take in the history and, you know, the entire culture of a program, a fan base that big. Um, but yeah, that was not uh, the best performance that UConn football has ever had. I, I did want to ask just one quick follow-up about, about being there. How were the Michigan fans? Were they, were they kind given the circumstances? Were they dismissive? What was, what was that vibe like? Michigan fans were lovely. I uh, really can't speak highly enough about Michigan fans, honestly. Uh, they were great uh, everywhere we went, uh, you know, before the game, after the game, the whole weekend. Uh, you know, everybody just wanted to talk football. They were happy that UConn people showed up. I'm uh, not really necessarily sure that they recognized UConn had a football team. But uh, as soon as everybody got there and got over the novelty, you know, everybody handled the situation well. Didn't hear a whole lot of trash talking, no little brother syndrome or anything like that. Uh, it really seems like last year's beating of Ohio State and getting into the uh, semifinals was a pretty big turnaround for that fan base and that uh, the, really that program as a whole. I'm happy for them. They were happy for us. It's all one big brotherhood here. UConn to the Big Ten. I think, you know, just with, with respect to this game, a lot of UConn fans seem to be very perturbed by the, the result. And, um, you know, to them, I simply have to say why. Um, what else did you expect to happen? There's a variety of injuries affecting the UConn offense right now. And, oh, by the way, it's still 
the University of Connecticut's football team and the roster that Randy Edsel left nine, nine or 10 or whatever months ago. So, um, and, and look, games like this, I, I actually think your point, Tucker, I know you were trying to avoid talking about the game, but <laughs> you are right that for someone on the team, you know, for a football player, get yourself outside of the mind of internet snark, you know, for, for a high school football player who ends up at the University of Connecticut on that football team, uh, if you end up playing a game at Michigan, you know, it given that your football career is going to end in two or three years anyway, with the end of your college career, most likely, that's a great memory. That's, you know, you say you went up against some future NFL players. You said you played there. Um, there are a lot of good teams like that on the schedule. And all or most of them are either playing home and homes, which is freaking remarkable, uh, you know, for, for UConn, like um, Ole Miss. <laughs> Hello? <Yep>. Why? <laughs> Uh, and then, um, you know, Michigan is paying a nice fat check and that's also important for UConn. Hey, do you like UConn's basketball programs playing in the big East? Well, games like this make it possible. So, um, you know, this, these kinds of beatdowns are, are very normal for, for FCS teams. Uh, a lot of HBCUs play a handful of these games because it's really important financially for their athletic department. But UConn actually takes in a bigger purse than, than those schools because they're an FBS opponent. And I think they have a pretty decent offer to a Michigan, right? Who I think was looking to make its non-conference schedule easy. And guess what UConn offers to one of the premier teams in college football? An easy opponent on the schedule. So this is all just a confluence of, to me, a lot of you know great things happening. This is program building. This is what you got to do. Um, it's it's super unfortunate that UConn could not field its best possible team in this game. Nate Carter missed most of it. Again, a true freshman is playing. Two receivers are out. That's that's going to affect you. Uh, and and I think we saw that part play out. So, um, uh, you know, UConn fans are going to be in for another two weeks like this. And, um, you know, I'm a little concerned for for what the boneyard is like. Uh, you know. <laughs> Two, two weeks from now. Yeah, I think that the key is to not have too many of these type of games on the schedule. Uh, just because if you're totally outclassed physically, week after week after week, it can result in those players kind of getting ground down. And mm -hmm. I, I don't think that it's the reason for the UConn's injuries. Obviously, most of them occurred before they played Michigan. So <laughs> that's not really what I'm implying. Just not, I was just thinking that week after week of that, isn't the best for player development, just getting your face pounded in. It, it's definitely important to mix in a bunch of, uh, a, a bunch of equal or uh, I guess lesser schools in the schedule. But I think definitely one or one trip a year, maybe one or two trips a year to these really big marquee programs, a helps pay the bills. Like Amon said, I really like that point about, <laughs> about uh, how these games are what make us impossible for them to play in the big East. And it it also brings in uh brings in fan interest for sure. Like mm -hmm. uh, that's really the secondary secondary factor uh, for scheduling these games. So I think overall they're they're kind of a necessary evil, and definitely the stars aligned for this year for uh, UConn to get one of the best Michigan teams, and and honestly in the past twenty years uh, mm -hmm. between last year and this year. Mm -hmm.
Yeah, and uh, you know, there's a few things that I'd like to say to put this game kind of in perspective too. Uh, first of all, results like this aren't going to last forever, right? Like this is still the nadir of what UConn football is going to be. They are going to get better as a program. Um, and it's no longer because they mathematically can't get worse, but you can clearly see that this is a program on the rise for whatever that rise is going to look like. So point number one, things like this aren't going to keep happening forever. Uh, secondly, is that you know, the last time UConn played the number four ranked team on the road was uh, when UConn was good. We were ranked 20th at the time and we went out uh, to West Virginia and we gave up 66 points. So, you know, it's it's not as if this is a thing that only happens to the very worst teams. Uh, you can still have a good team, one good enough to be ranked in the top 25 and you can still get blown out if sometimes everything works out right for a team. And that kind of happened in the Michigan game. We did have a couple inopportune turnovers, uh, a couple not so great penalty calls early on that really contributed to Michigan scoring every single time, uh, especially in the first couple quarters where our defense was playing, I would say, not terribly. Um, so there's that also. And third, speaking to the injuries, it's not just that starters are hurt. It's that so many of them were out at one point during the game. We were missing uh, from, you know, uh, off season, our starting QB, our top three running backs and our top three receivers that leads you to just inexperience everywhere. And while, you know, in the Randy Edsel 2.0 years, that happened as soon as one person at each position got injured. But UConn had to be absolutely snake bitten by injuries in order to reach that same point of, you know, it's not just starting true freshmen at, you know, quarterback and running back guys who were playing high school ball eight months ago. Uh, if you take a look at like wide receiver, you have a guy who was a walk-on who just picked up his scholarship three weeks ago, starting at tight end was a guy who was just playing community college ball in Oklahoma. Uh, the entire offense right now has been snake bitten other than the offensive line, which honestly still played okay, given the opponent and you know, there, there's just only so much you can realistically do with that. So some of these guys are going to come back by the end of the season when we're playing teams that we're capable of beating. Uh, UConn still hasn't lost a game that it should be winning just yet. And even though the scores aren't exactly what we would like to see, you know, like that game against Utah State is still, I think, the most indicative of our true ability because that's the one where we're like, being tested, but it's a team within the same realm as us also. Uh, Syracuse actually appears to be very good. Whoops, sorry, I was wrong. Uh, we all knew Michigan was a great team this year. They were a great team last year, and they're probably just as good now. So I'm not concerned about all this. I am worried what happens in the games that we can win later in the season if some of these guys don't get healthy by then. But for right now, there's only so much you can say about this Michigan game because, you know, what could you have realistically expected from them other than this? Mm -hmm. And I, and I think you bring up a really good point. Uh, I mean, Michigan, Michigan, one of the best Michigan teams in a long time, also one of the best Syracuse teams in a, in a long time that, that they played. <laughs> and, um, you know, to your point about the blowouts, those were happening across the board this past, this past week, we saw uh, Georgia beat South Carolina 48 to seven. Uh, uh, Nebraska, Oklahoma beat Nebraska 49-14. USC beat Fresno State 45-17. So these, these kinds of games are happening uh, across the board. Tennessee beat Akron 63-6. So, uh, yeah, I, I think your, your point um, about just 
when those elite teams play, this kind of stuff happens. And I, I think one more point I just wanted to add, you know, just about the schedule as a whole. This is the 2022 schedule. This is still a, a, a scrambling after making independence possible schedule. So I do think in the future, we will not have a stretch like this where it's three particularly rough games, uh, unless it's by some sort of accident. But um, yeah, I, I think just another important thing to keep in mind as it relates to, yeah, maybe this 2022 schedule is kind of weird. It was also put together fairly quickly. UConn did not get the most points hug on them of the week. Alabama put 63 on uh, UL Monroe. Uh, Ohio State, uh, previously mentioned, uh, very pissed off. Ohio State put 77 on Toledo's head, and Oklahoma State put 63 on Arkansas Pine Bluff, albeit an FCS school. Still a pretty hefty, uh, pretty hefty uh, point differential there. So uh, uh, UConn is getting blown out. They certainly weren't alone in that last weekend. One thing I will say about the game itself is a lot has been made about on uh, uh, Zion Turner's stat line. And it's something I almost don't even want to address because like I've said, UConn and Michigan, they might as well not even, even be playing sport, the, the same sport in terms of the talent level on the field. Uh, Michigan has, I think it was 44 blue chip recruits on their roster, according to two first two, four, seven sports. Um, How much does UConn have? UConn has, I think Bren Boyer Randall might have been a four star out of high school. Oh, yeah, that's right. We do have State. one. <laughs> yeah. I'm so used to that answer being zero. I was this once you transfer, I don't think that counts. Yeah. But as a side note, Red Boyer Randall, Randall, one year younger than me. He was he's a 98. You you in college sports, you're really not used to seeing too many, uh, too many birth years. Uh, starting with starting with a nine, but uh, yeah, he's <laughs> I'd say by far the oldest uh, oldest player in the UConn roster and a uh, uh, former four star. But really, uh, there's no contest. I think I think it was that I said uh, Michigan has nearly three times as many blue chip recruits on their roster as UConn has three stars. So uh, that's the sort of talent differential we're looking at here. And on top of that, they have one of the best secondaries in the country. Uh, obviously, we all, we all know I have a complicated relationship with uh, pro football focus, but they have Michigan secondary ranked as the second uh, unit, defensive back unit in the country. So that's sort of the framework that UConn was working with going into the game. Now, what I had mentioned after the Syracuse game, uh, Charlton – uh, offensive coordinator really just I honestly at this point you can probably call it giving up before the first snap even just not even pretending to attempt a deep ball in the entire game and just really doubling and tripling down on these short structured routes and these dump offs and these screen passes and it just wasn't working at all and the, the run game Offensive line, I will say that was a, a unit that wasn't a heavy negative in the game. It's probably the best uh, best compliment I can pay to any of the units, offensive line and the defensive line, despite heavy, heavy talent and uh, uh, just size disadvantages on both sides. They both have provided pretty good pretty good accounts of themselves. But just 
not any imagination uh, shown to scheme receivers to open. And, and again, obviously these are not the first string or even the second string receivers that they're trying to scheme open, but just not a whole lot of imagination on that front. So I'm going to hold off on judgment again until UConn gets out of this really tough stretch of schedule. I think Fresno State, if by that time they're still not chucking it deep. I mean, we've seen Zion throw a pretty nice deep ball before uh, in practice and in games against Central, yep. the, the one – Obviously, it's weird to point to an interception as a as a as a good looking deep ball, but uh, bounced right off uh, right off the UConn receiver's hands. So he has arm strength and a reasonable expectation of accuracy down the field, and just to to not utilize it. Obviously, Syracuse. Uh, I don't really know what what to make of that. There, Michigan. Obviously, it's it's a it's a situation of sort of defeating yourself on that on that front before the, the first snap. Uh, NC State, not really the quality of Michigan's defense, but definitely the experience. They have a ton of guys, and we'll get into it. They have a ton of guys who uh, either could have gone pro last year, uh, but didn't because of injuries. Uh, got that extra COVID year. Uh, a couple super seniors, so they have a t- uh, just oodles and oodles of experience on that side of the ball. I think Fresno State's the game where we look at if they're still doing the the dump offs, the screens, even with these third string receivers that they're running out there. I think that's when I'm starting to starting to question a little bit of what Charleston's doing, but I think it's just kind of a perfect storm that resulted in, again, a freshman quarterback looking out of his elbow. I totally agree with your point about um, both the O-line and D-line looking pretty good given the circumstances and everything that was going on. Um, we did not see uh, a ton of pressure, a ton of pressure uh, on Zion Turner. I don't know that there was a ton of set. There were, there were not many, very many sacks or hurries. And uh, the D line as, as well got a decent pass rush going on occasion against Michigan. And I think again, in these circumstances, that's that's some good stuff to see. I thought, you know, Luke, you wrote about that really well in the takeaways uh, on the UConn blog that remarkably there were some things to feel positive about just on a pure performance basis um, for those groups. I wanted to, to just bring back up, though, something you mentioned earlier about the QB situation. Um, so, yeah, Zion Turner now has had, I guess, two – not very good games. They have, of course, come against two very good teams. Uh, we learned this. We learned this week that Tyler Pomachon is healthy. New piece of in- information to me. I think we all kind of assumed just because he was practicing light, he was wearing a a knee brace that that maybe they were keeping him safe. So. I'm not sure when he was available, but Mora has confirmed that he's available now. I wonder, I mean, I'm not saying this because I think Zion Turner should be benched, but I do think there is a likelihood we're going to see Pumachon, maybe? What do you guys think? Well, I mean, if you get to garbage time and, you know, they're going through QBs anyway, I'm sure at some point he'll get some series. Uh, 
I will say that I don't think that healthy and available is the same thing as healthy and 100% in that I actually think he's probably been healthy and available for most of this season so far. Uh, that's not really a knock on uh, Tyler Pomachan for not getting out on the field there sooner, but I think that there's a reason that the coaching staff is being fairly cautious with him as he recovers from a torn ACL. And I think that that means that like, look, if we don't see a clear benefit to putting him out on the field, then right now we're not going to. And maybe Mora has finally turned the corner where he does see the benefit uh, if a similar situation happens next week against NC State. Yeah, I think that honestly, Turner uh, getting getting a bench for Pumatron at this stage wouldn't really even be getting benched in a way he shouldn't really have been starting in the first place. Like after uh, the injury to Robertson and uh, the, the continuing injury, injury to Pumachan, I, I think there's an argument to be made that if everyone's healthy, he's third in the depth chart right now. If uh, if everything proceeded into the season the way UConn planned, but it's just it's really not how it how it shook out. And I don't think he was definitely brought in as the quarterback of the future. Emphasis on future. So. Yep. Right now, I think sort of getting thrown to the wolves against the Syracuse's and the NC States and the Michigan's of the world wasn't really in his development plan. And uh, honestly, with the way that the offensive was drawn up against Michigan, I don't really see how he's gotten any sort of development out of a game like that. So yeah. I think that if it come, if Pumachan's 100% and is feeling up to it, I definitely wouldn't be surprised to see him a little bit more as they focus on uh, kind of keeping Turner's feet out of the fire and having him develop further. And I'm, I'm not saying that and that any experience in at the FPS level is a good experience. I just think that all things being equal, if you have a guy who does have that experience and is feeling 100% and what was uh, pretty – decent uh at least running quarterback last year something that turner he, he has the athleticism he just doesn't really have the decisiveness that a guy like robertson or a guy like pumachan has shown i i think that it definitely wouldn't be wouldn't be surprising to me if we saw pumachan and i don't think it would be a knock on turner either i think that uh i think that he'll definitely have his time in the sun absolutely i i've been very shocked at the amount of criticism of turner and his performance that i have seen out there and it's not you know just just the crazies it's it's some other people and um yeah i cannot emphasize just the circumstances and like luke said it's certainly was not in his development plan to be starting these these games and i still feel that i like what i have seen from him overall i think he has at least took on this very situation in a in a headstrong manner. He has not uh, shown bad body language. He seems to continue to be leading the team in the offense. Uh, you know, I know it's not hasn't been doing great, but he's not he's not slouching. He's not, you know, doing any making any excuses. And he has shown some talent. And and I think for a person uh, just a few months removed from their high school prom, I I, I think that's uh, about the best you can ask. We're talking about a a Randy Edsel roster offense right now, and and, and you did, they're doing the best they can, and and so I I would just like to emphasize again I like what I have seen from Turner overall, and I think there's lots of reason to believe that he is the future at the position, um, and I think yeah uh, what happens right now at quarterback is more 
contingency than anything about, you know, winning as many games as possible, which is fine. Yeah, and I'm more or less on the same boat right now. Um, if they change it up, fine. Uh, this was Turner's fourth game. Uh, so, you know, if you want to really use that red shirt on him and, uh, you know, put your conspiracy hats on uh, to say that they're going to red shirt him, uh, this would be the game where he'd get benched. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. But nonetheless, I, I'm still fairly encouraged by him. This was not really a game where he had that many opportunities to throw good balls. Um, wide receivers struggled to get open, uh, given the very, very vast uh, talent and experience gap uh, that the uh, Michigan defense had on our receiving unit. Uh, Turner did what he could and what he could with that wasn't much. So hopefully we can just kind of regroup, uh, but not really change up too much on the offense, because once we do get to those games that we can win, which I believe is going to start on October 8th uh, against Florida International, I kind of want to see more of the same offense that worked against Central Connecticut, that worked against Utah State, and see what they do against an opponent that's within their league. Um, I will also say that uh, even though I'm not so concerned about Turner's performance, I do have a little bit of a concern with the defense right now. I know that that was definitely a better unit and they didn't always struggle and there were encouraging things there. Um, and a shout out to, as we mentioned earlier, uh, Brandon Bouye Randall, who I thought was uh, at many times the best player that you kind of had on the field this past weekend. But man, there were so many times when, you know, the defense got to the player and just did not make the tackle. And that had me kind of worried uh, with how many missed tackles that we were having as a result of that. And, you know, sure, some of them were the result of just a talent gap where, uh, you know, like it, just an elusive move to really take advantage of a not so great, maybe a little weaker uh, and less experienced defense. But there are so many guys who miss tackles out there on the field. And even against Michigan, that's a little concerning, given that it had reared its head a couple times in the past two weeks also. Uh, and that's something to look forward, uh, not look forward to, to look at for the future to make sure that's not one of those things that lasts for the rest of the season and definitely an area that the defense does need to improve on. Yeah, I think speaking of defense, I, I think to your point about the, the missed tackles, honestly a lot of it looked to me like on tv like a like a question of effort mm. i think in a, in a game or where you're you're just getting your butt kicked like that and there's so many things that aren't going your way like like for example 14 points scored on a special teams more or less i think it's pretty easy to hang your head and obviously it is on the coaching staff to kind of stem that sort of behavior but when you when you're down that much I, I think it's a very easy trap to fall into i don't think it's a warning sign or anything obviously if it could continues throughout the entire season even in games where uconn's like for example being really competitive and then they have a couple bad breaks that send them uh, send them behind i think that's definitely a reason for concern but i could just kind of see how that would happen to a defense when, when there's so many things working against you brandon boyaranda had on the other hand had a really funny game to me because <laughs> you're right at times it looked like he was the best player in the field for UConn. he was in the backfield he was looking like a looking like a, a an all-american against one of the one of the more physical offenses or i shouldn't say physical offenses that was more last year in michigan this year in michigan is more uh more aired out what uh what uh, uh jj do his work but and then there were some there were other plays where it just it total bonehead decisions based on reads in the backfield it was just really funny it was a really funny game to me because obviously 
it, it was really interesting game on uh on my end to see him i, I appreciate it I, i'd appreciate I, I want more of that uh, let's, let's be let's have a last momentary momentary uh sparks of brilliance and then uh total boneheaded decisions and less uh less just mediocrity that's that's my goal for the yukon defense I appreciate that too. And um, hey, if this sparks him and this gets him going, I, I think he's been coming up, coming up in a long, a little bit across the season. It's not like mm-hmm. this came out of nowhere. So um, that's good. But I, I do think, you know, just looking forward at, at, you know, this NC State game and the Fresno game as well, to some extent, I do think if we're talking about what we're looking for, it, it really is that that mistakes piece and and to eliminate that as much as possible, um, because we know that the mistakes like uh, giving up a punt return touchdown due to really bad tackling and coverage, the punt that was blocked, uh, punt that was muffed. Um, you know, th- these are things that are avoidable and that, you know, you could have done to make it not 59 nothing. Right. And not and not stand out in such a bad way. And I think that's what we're looking for in some of these games, particularly, let's say, Boston College and Liberty, you know, uh, to talk about some of those games that are on the fence for us. Those are where we really don't want to see blowouts and where hopefully they get their execution to a point where at least these mistakes aren't happening. And and where it's even if you're losing to Liberty, even if you're losing to Boston College, it's not that you're getting outclassed as if you just Mm -hmm. play Michigan when you're going up against those schools. So. I think that'll be important. And, and so that's what I'm going to be kind of looking for, even in this Michigan State game, is keep your composure, keep mistakes down, you know, a, a, a pick here and there, or, you know, these things happen, right? But some of the, like you said, Luke, the boneheaded stuff, um, the, the, the clear mistakes we can, we can certainly do without. Punt blocks are, are certainly avoidable, um, you know, and... Uh, in a game like this, NC State is also very, very good. I, I think that's um, some of the most that I'm going to be looking for and expecting from the team, especially with Nate Carter out. Yeah, I think there's, uh, you know, some stuff to look forward to uh, with the NC State game. I, I think that, well, we're not really going to have a chance to win, but I think that at the very least, we can kind of reverse some of the trends that have been happening the last couple of weeks and see if maybe they can get a little more creative on offense. Uh, given the challenges that NC State is going to pose. Uh, maybe the defense finally not being completely outclassed against a team like Michigan might raise their game a little bit more, and maybe they might keep this game a little bit closer than expected as a result of basically refocusing their efforts and getting remotivated to actually potentially play well in a football game. Um, but uh, as a whole, as we look toward NC State, um, this is just a really good team that UConn's playing against. It's uh, definitely the best that this program has had in quite some time. Uh, They're going to be motivated to try to have as good of a season as they possibly can. So I don't expect this one to really uh, be competitive uh, in the same way that we had seen against Utah State at the beginning of the year. Nonetheless, it'll be a good test for a few individual elements and a few individual players. And hopefully that'll give us some indication on uh, what UConn does in that October stretch where our games are Fresno, FIU, Ball State, and BC, which are four games that we will have a much better chance of competing in. Yeah, I think looking forward to NC State, I I, I think that if UConn was to get NC State this year, it, it should have been that first week 
where they barely eked past East Carolina in a really, really ugly game. Yeah. And I think that's the sort of game where uh, uh, that's honestly how Utah State came out in their first half. They, Utah State did not look very good. And uh, UConn sort of capitalized on that. And I could easily have seen them doing the same to NC State. But uh, unfortunately for UConn, it definitely seems like they've gotten rolling over these uh, past two weeks, uh, de- uh, destroying Charleston Southern FBS school, obviously, and then uh, uh, getting a very nice win over Texas Tech, a uh, team this year that was uh, uh, tipped to do some pretty big things in the Big 12. So it's definitely a, a, definitely a, 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 harder, a harder test for UConn football now that they're sort of getting rolling like that and uh, we're seeing their offense get rolling a little better too we're, we're seeing their their quarterback uh Devin Leary de- hasn't really had the the, the start of the season that mm-hmm. uh, some people were expecting but he's been very solid I'd say that they got their they let the running game sort of take care of business against uh Texas Tech but against Charleston Southern he uh looked pretty much at, as advertised uh 16 for 25 with uh, 238 yards and four touchdowns zero interceptions uh, uh, very decent college quarterback. It's going to be a theme coming up in the next two weeks. Uh, him and Hayner at Fresno State, just really solid quarterbacks who can get the job done. And against a, a shaky UConn secondary, that could spell trouble. Now, I, I think in the running game, I, I don't think they'll have as big of an advantage over UConn in the running game as, say, Michigan had, even if even though the UConn defensive line performed admirably. Uh, I think that they'll have a pretty good chance at making some, creating some havoc plays, uh, which something that uh, that's something that UConn's done a pretty good job of doing this year. And even in previous years, they've, they've uh, been pretty good at, at getting into the backfield and, uh, and causing, uh, causing some problems for running backs. And I think that for UConn to keep this close, I think that's something they're going to have to do and they're going to have to do it a lot, even more than uh, they have been. So I think that's the key because if they're disrupting things in the backfield, then uh, Leary will have less of a chance to uh, be able to get the ball downfield and have those big explosive plays on balloon coverages that have been sort of a hallmark of the UConn defense uh, for the past couple of years. So I, I think that, that that's kind of the template for maybe not even an upset for keeping it close for the UConn defense, but that's sort of the template they're going to have to fall to pull in East Carolina and, uh, and get, and make the game close than expected. Yep. Uh, one, one quick note I did want to throw out there. It does seem like we are meeting a lot of teams at their apex, uh, which, which is pretty unfortunate. I mean, so it's, troubling. We, it's, 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 it's not great. And we honestly thought Utah state would be on that list. Not that they were their best ever, you know, like I think that was maybe last year. Uh, turns out they might not be as good as expected. After playing UConn, they went to Alabama. What you expected happened. The following week, they lost to Weber State 35-7. to seven. Um, I, I do not have the, uh, the full details as to, you know, what's the reasoning or the whatever behind how, how this went down or if every you know half the team got covid or if there's some sort of I, I don't think there's any like situation like that that is the reason for this it looks like logan bonner started he threw three interceptions and uh the weaver state wildcats beat the crap out of 
uh, Utah State as seven-point underdogs? Come on, man. Mm-hmm. Um, so come on, Vegas. Uh, but Utah State might be bad. Uh, so just, just a little something to think about. I don't think that changes the fact that we still feel enthusiastic about how UConn played because they still did do things against a FBS team. So there's that. But anyway, yeah, you know, this Syracuse team being as good as they are is, is annoying. Uh, and then really, again, this is a Michigan, this is a Michigan peak, you know, like if this was a Rich Rod Michigan team, it obviously would have, would have been a very different score and situation. Um, this is not, uh, this is not your older brother's Michigan team. They uh, seem to be actually quite good. Uh, I will say maybe army is not as strong as it has been like the last two years. Army is looking like it might be a little susceptible to, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying change it's change the prediction for that game or anything, but um, well, Andre Carter has only two sacks in three games so far, which is quite a ways off of uh, the pace he was at last year. So we'll see. Uh, I, I don't think that, you know, if that's going to be a one man defense, then maybe that's a winnable game for UConn based on the way our offensive line is playing. Uh, and I like that, you know, we're uh, we're just so optimistic about the game that's coming up this weekend that we've started to talk about the final game of the season already. Every other opponent besides this one, let's yeah. have a chat about that because there's maybe a little bit more interesting stuff to say. Um, I, I will just throw out there: I did do the uh, an interview with the NC State podcast, um, you know, which, which was a good time. They were nice folks about it, and and worth checking out. Um, but I did have to kind of, you know, the, these interviews can be tough when it's like. You know, so how do you think your team matches up against ours? And I have to just be like, listen, man. You have, <laughs> no, got, don't. You have got us in every position group. There's there's in not what? Much, in, you know, like, yeah, you want to talk about women's basketball? Like we've got some great, we can have a great little convo. We actually did talk a little bit because you know, UConn had that big elite eight game against them uh win this past year, but um nice folks at NC State, as we discussed before the season. Raleigh is a nice place to visit if you happen to find yourself there. Um, I wouldn't make a special trip to go there, but you, there are worse ways to spend a Saturday than, than in Raleigh. I think it's a perfectly nice, nice place. And I think, you know, Tucker's point about just, you know, it's, it's cool to check out other schools. It's not, and, and obviously Michigan is like a historic one and blah, 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 but even checking out, uh, uh, a Virginia Tech or uh, something of that nature can be cool. Uh, an mm-hmm. NC State is is right in line with that. Uh, I went to the the UVA road game. You know, it's just good to take in some other uh, other schools' cultures and just see what goes on. That's that's what college sports is all about. So um, even though UConn is not looking so hot right now, would definitely still recommend trying to get that road trip out there because hey, mm-hmm. still can have a good time with UConn football. You just have to not be emotionally invested in the score. Yeah, that's how it's been the last five, six years, uh, even in home games. So. Seven, 10, 11 years. Honestly, the biggest drawback of the Michigan game is that uh, the big house does not actually sell beer uh, at the stadium, oh. which is made things a little more difficult than it needed a to Michigan be. A Michigan man would never get inebriated while watching that, <laughs> watching amateur sporting events. <laughs> 
Not, not while watching their warrior poets. Well, that's going to do it for us, folks. Thank you all for listening.